Ephesians chapter 2, and I've entitled it, Unity Lacking. What in the world is that all about? Stay with me this morning. Those of you that are regular attendees know that, uh, or if you've read in our literature or seen on our website, as those who come and visit us do see, we normally are doing an exposition of a book of the Bible. I believe that that is essential and very important in teaching. Number one, it forces us to teach according to context. Number two, it forces us to teach the whole counsel of God, not just that which is convenient and not just that which will avoid controversy. And number three, I would say, it prevents us from avoiding anything that would be too difficult, but which Christians need to know. Currently, for those of you that are familiar, I am in the Gospel of John. As the does returned, they couldn't believe that I would be done with the Gospel of John when they saw the title today. They're right, I'm not. Uh, but we are through chapter 18. We're beginning chapter 19. And uh, I don't necessarily think that exposition is the only way to teach. Topical is a good way to teach as well, but I do think expositional is best. But while we have been currently in the Gospel according to John, and we have completed through chapter 18, we are starting a mini-series this morning. We will go back and finish the Gospel according to John. I will not leave that unfinished. We will go back to that. But in the meantime, we are dealing with a mini-series. Why? Why break from John chapter 18 or chapter 19, verse 1, and go into a mini-series, Pastor Dan? Is this so you didn't do your studying? You're not ready? What is it? Not at all. First of all, I want you to know that initially, the series before us was prompted by music. Plain and simple. It was prompted by the subject of music. And music, if we are honest, is a challenge to everyone. It is a challenge to the young, and it is a challenge to the old. It has caused divisions among families, and it indeed has caused divisions and indeed splits in churches throughout this country. There are a number of churches, and this is not a criticism, it is an observation, a correct observation. A number of churches throughout the country and throughout the world have changed their services so that they have services for those who want traditional music, then they have separate services for those who would have or like contemporary music, and then there are those, for example, when I was on my trip, I learned of another church who now has three services, one for traditional, one for contemporary, and a separate service for those who want half and half. That's the truth. So it is very, very divisive. I also believe with all my heart that in this subject and in this area, and stay with me, 
There are many differing opinions. And I do believe that the people are sincere. I believe whatever your position may be this morning, you are sincere in it. But it's very possible that you're sincerely wrong, as well as me. So people are sincere in it. It is interesting because in time, let me just share right at the outset a couple of things with you. It has been interesting the comments that I have received personally regarding Fellowship Bible Church. Now, some of this may be a surprise to you, some of it may not. I have received both of these comments. I do not want to associate with Fellowship Bible Church any longer. The music is too liberal. I do not want to associate with Fellowship Bible Church any longer. The music is way too conservative. It's a fact. I've had them both. After much long prayer and time before the Lord, speaking with the elders and study, I believe there's a much bigger picture to be seen. There's a much bigger picture, a, a much larger and more significant challenge than just music. Music is important and will get covered. And I'll explain myself in just a moment. But folks, the picture is a lot bigger than that. And I've been pastoring now in this church in one form or another for over 33 years. This series before us as I've prayed about it and studied and prepared, and I want you to notice, know that this has actually been longer than a year. It's been a couple of years in prayer and study and conversation and observation. Will last about four to six weeks. The challenge was great for me to keep it reduced to that, but Lord willing, we will finish this particular series at the latest, the first week in June, because I think it's essential to deal with it now before people head out on vacations and everything else. I want you to know that as ridiculous as it might sound to you, that I struggled with the title as I prayed. And the elders know this. In fact, I think they're probably surprised by the title I ended up giving it, because the last they knew I was talking about body dynamics and the way the body is to function. But as you know, there's been books written on that, and that's really not what I wanted to deal with. Christian liberty. There are volumes that would fill libraries on that particular subject. As I studied the word freedom in the text that you came up, the word freedom, and you will see it again today, came up over and over and over again. But where I settled was on the subject of unity. For my outline, to give it to you ahead of time, you will see these following titles given as I go through this material. Unity lacking, that is today. 
unity established, unity threatened, unity preserved, and then finally, unity applied. And when I deal with that, I will deal with an entire message on music. One message? Well, I would also encourage you and encourage you to encourage others who are not here today that if you come in the middle of this series or half of this series and then begin to talk about it, you will have missed the boat. It is important that it's taken in its entirety. It is essential, though, in moving ahead, even as I considered this subject and considered what is going on in the body of Christ, that a foundation be laid. If that foundation is not laid, then everything else will be missed. Let me also tell you from experience, my own personal and yours, if you're honest, because I am going to touch upon things that are very, very sensitive, many will form their own opinion and not even hear what is said. I hope that's not the case. It is very possible to hear a message and walk out the doors and within minutes do the very thing that these messages will cover. And there will not be unity in the body of Christ. I have talked to a couple of pastors already. They think I'm nuts to even approach what I'm about to approach with you because they feel it is absolutely going to divide even further the church of Jesus Christ. I believe in teaching the whole counsel of God. I believe that no subject should shy away from a believer and a pastor is absolutely responsible to deal with those things that are relevant to the body right now. And so I will not avoid it. So let's begin today with unity lacking. How do we begin? Well, I have a very simple outline for you. Let's understand the problem first. And by the way, you know the verses. You probably could quote them to me. Let's begin by dealing with something that we've learned from the gospel according to John. And let's start with some statements from God himself. Go with me to John chapter 8. Please stay with me, whether you have these verses memorized or not. I want you to see them. Let's begin by understanding the problem. In John chapter 8, and by the way, I'll mention as a side issue, I find it amusing almost, and again, you might say, well, you planned this. You just said you've been taking a year. No, I didn't plan it to fall the way it did, but it just so happens we're studying this, and in the evening we're studying the fear of God. I would recommend if you don't come out, you at least get the messages because there's going to tie, they, they will tie in together. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, you know them. So Jesus was saying to those Jews, watch this, who had believed him. They had believed him. Conditional. If. If, that is, you who believe, continue in my word. If you as a believer continue where? In my word, not in tradition, but in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. 
You are a learner. You are a follower, if you will, of Jesus Christ. If you continue in my word, then we know the rest. Verse 32. And you not might know, but you will know the truth. If we continue in the scriptures, we will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It will set you free. Pretty straightforward. Go to John 13. So if I continue in the word, I will, number one, be a disciple of Christ. Number two, that's if I have already believed. Number two, I will know the truth. And number three, that truth will set me free. In John chapter 13, and Pastor Stringer has a series on this going on on Wednesday nights, but verse 35. I'll go back to 34. Love one another, well, let me go back. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Watch verse 35. By this, by what? Love. All men will know. What? That you are my disciples. If you continue in my word, you are my disciple. You'll know the truth, the truth sets you free. By this, all people will know. The evidence to the world will be your love one for another. That's what he says. Then they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. By this, all men, not some men, all men will know that you are my disciples, you are a learner, you are a follower, a condition if you love one another. Now, very briefly, in one sense, this commandment's not new because love for the Lord was taught in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. We are to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, soul, and with all of our might, or mind, as some have translated. And then in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, I'm not going to turn there, we learn that we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this is not new. We ought to have love for one another. We saw it in the songs. We saw it in chapter 5 of Galatians. And we have seen it in the Old Testament. Yet, there's a new standard, and that is we had to love one another. How? As Christ has loved us. That is the new aspect of it. What is that type of love? Sacrificial, yes. Humble, absolutely. Servanthood, yes. Interest of others first, without question. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. It is important that this foundation get laid. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. And I will read them with just a few comments. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, writing to the Philippian church, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any uh, excuse me, affection and compassion, make my joy complete. How? By being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united, how? In spirit, intent on what? One purpose, now watch, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, 
which also is in Christ Jesus. What is that? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. What did he do? He emptied himself, how? Taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For this reason also we know God has highly exalted him. That is the standard. That is the example. Now we have just read that if we stay in the word, we'll know the truth, the truth will set us free. If, and if we are disciples of Christ, we will be known by our love one for another. And that love one for another is as Christ loved us, and the example of Christ loving us is clearly taught in Philippians chapter 2, which reflects verses that we have put on the side of this church since it was built here as a building, of putting others first, not ourselves, and esteeming others better than ourselves. We know the verses. We know what we're supposed to do. Is this what we is this what all men are observing of all of us? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And by the way, everyone, starting with me, everyone thinks they are right. And they are justified. Let me bring you as a starting point to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21 and verse 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, and I say to you that without exception in this room, that's where every one of us are. But I want you to look at the rest of the verse. The Lord weighs the hearts. The Lord weighs the hearts. Why would I say, is that what we observe? And I don't think so. Now we begin to get hairy. Consider reality, folks. And I cannot put an exhaustive thing together. It's impossible. But consider reality and see if this is not true. Christians, notice I said Christians. Let me qualify that. Professing Christians often argue, separate, split churches, split families, and have endless debates over some of the following. Whether or not a church should have invitations. Whether or not Christians should celebrate Christmas or Easter. Whether or not you should work on Sunday. Whether or not people should lift up their hands in a church service when praying or singing. Whether or not anybody should clap. 
the types of instruments that are used at a service, whether that be a guitar, a flute, a piano, an organ, a drum, or whatever. Christians are fighting about it. The styles of music is absolutely dividing the Christian community. And by the way, as I go through this list, that doesn't mean I'm promoting any of it. I'm being honest with you. This is what's known among Christianity. Smoking. Oh, dancing. Oh boy, Pastor Dan. Drinking of alcohol. Christian takes a glass of wine. Everybody gossips. Drinking coffee. I would never put that in me. Drinking soda, that's okay. Go to Europe. Talk to some Christians over there. If it's got caffeine in it, they won't touch it. Those are the easy ones. Entertainment, movies, DVDs, concerts. Now we're getting hairy. Schooling of children. Homeschooling, public schools, private schools, Christian schools. Churches are divided about every one of these things that I am naming. Bible translations. What translation should we use? The concept of honoring ancestors. Where people go on vacation. You think that's a joke? People have left this church over that issue. What type of dress people have? Whether that's a tie, a bow tie, no tie, t-shirt, whatever. Am I touching things that are real or not? Proper hairstyles. Did you see that person with the purple and pink hair? Unbelievable. And they call themselves a Christian. Really? Uh-oh. Body piercing? Tattoos? You better stop, Pastor Dan. Why? Choices of the types of recreation people are involved in. The times of services and when they're held. Oh no, don't touch this one. The timing of the rapture. Oh my aching head, Pastor Dan, what are you doing? How many services you have? and when you have them. The length of the service, Sunday school. Now watch it get hairy. Reformed theology, dispensationalism, whether or not a person's a Baptist, Presbyterian, Calvinist, and there are people that are judging everybody's salvation and talking about this all the time. Election versus free will. Mixed swimming. And on and on. You can see the list is endless. Is this or is this not reality? What people are watching and observing of Christians who are absolutely fighting and arguing and backstabbing and gossiping and destroying the body of Christ over. 
and absolutely is. Meanwhile, everybody's justifying, just as I said in Proverbs 21, that their position is the right one and the only one. What is really happening in the body of Christ? Is it that people are observing the body? And I'm not just talking Fellowship Bible Church. In case you happen to be visiting here, what's going on in that church? This is happening throughout the world in Christianity, folks. What is really happening? Is it that people are seeing Christians loving one another? Is it that Christians are really, or the unsaved world is observing us as being disciples of Christ? Let me give you a few verses quickly. Go with me to James chapter 4. I think this is what's, excuse me, this is really what's happening. James chapter 4. This is just introduction. James chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brethren. That is happening. People are speaking evil against other believers. James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. People judging one another, people speaking evil of one another and complaining. Romans chapter 14, verse 13, you mark it down. It says there that people were judging one another. Titus chapter 3, verse 2, says they were maligning or speaking evil of one another. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5, part of our responsive reading. Oh, no, don't go there. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed one of another. I think that's what's going on. I think the church of Jesus Christ around the world is biting and devouring itself. People are judging other people's salvation based upon their own convictions, calling out whether or not they think the person's a Christian because they've done this, or done that, and it's being based upon personal preferences, theological debates in non-gospel issues, even though, in fairness, some would consider them gospel issues. They would not be justified in studying it out in Scripture. I think that's what's going on. I think this subject needs to be addressed because it needs to have a good understanding. That does not mean that we don't need to study it does not mean that any one of the issues that I have brought up are not important. They are. All of them. However, there are a lot of complications that come into play. For example, there is not a one of us in this room that does not come in with traditions. Not a one. You're no exception, in case you think you are. You have traditions that you've held on to, and so do I, and it affects the way we think. In fact, the older you are, the harder it is to accept any change. And by the way, kids, don't think you're off the hook, because the same is going to be true with you. As you get older, it is harder to accept change at all. Also, the Bible availability was limited at one time. It was. Anyone that's my age, don't be a fool or older and think 
that it's not more readily available and the average person in the pew can't read more than you could study because it's a lot more available today. At one time, people couldn't even read and write and had to rely on others to teach them the Bible. Translations were very few. In fact, as well known, King James Version was the accepted version. And there are some that are still holding on to that and won't budge an inch because they think everything has been deserted as far as the things of Christ, and they think Paul wrote the King James. That's the reality. But it's tradition. It's that that, that was, was available at the time. Bible teaching churches were few. I had a several discussions. I may be wrong, and I apologize ahead of time in case I miss some, but I think you'll get the picture. At one time, after I got saved, probably between Manchester, New Hampshire, maybe I went a little bit too far, let me go to Derry, and let me say Burlington, you probably had Calvary Bible, you probably had Fellowship Bible, you had Marsh Corner, you had Church of the Open Bible, and there may have been a couple of others, but there was no, else, no other church to go to if you really wanted to get Bible teaching. That's not true today. Not true at all. Technology was limited. It's not limited anymore. And everyone, and I underscore everyone, has the pride that I am right based upon scripture. I'm right, the scriptures say this, I know it, I'm not gonna be moved, you're wrong. Every one of us have that. There is a tremendous lack in Christianity. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. A tremendous lack in Christianity as we observe and experience it of these verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another or each other. Watch, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Oh, we know it. And we're glad that he's forgiven us. But don't you dare touch one of those areas that Pastor Dan just talked about or my steam, my eyes will pop out of my head when I'm looking at you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Tremendously lacking. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another. Uh-oh in the fear of Christ. Tremendously lacking in the church of Jesus Christ today. What is the heart of the issue? Folks, it's not music. Not music at all. It's not any one item on the list that I gave you. And if I were to address every one of those issues one by one, the problem isn't going away. This is why if I just address music alone, you'll never get the solution. In fact, let me give you some evidence. I found it interesting 
that I look back at my thesis, which I wrote, interesting, I, I didn't realize it until I looked at it this week. I wrote my thesis for my master's 20 years ago this month. Handed it in, got accepted. The title of my thesis was I Am Set Free. It was on this very subject, and we're still dealing with it today. I have taught on this subject of Christian liberty three times in this church. I spent three months teaching on the subject of music in this church. Those aren't the heart, that's not the heart of the problem. Well, then what is? The evidence, by the way, is this. Peter, Paul, and John all had to address it. And I'm not talking about some music people. I'm talking about Peter and Paul, the book of Romans, the book of 1 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians, the book of Galatians, the book of Ephesians, the book of 1 and 2 Peter, the book of Revelation, all dressed, addresses the problems that are existing in the church of Jesus Christ because of the behavior of Christians. And I think it cannot be ignored. It cannot be pushed aside. Part of the responsibility of a pastor, part of the responsibility of a local church is to teach us so we learn and know how to deal with one another so we honor Christ. What's the real problem then, Pastor Dan? Let me give you an oversight because here's what we're going to be addressing. It's a lot deeper than just music. Here's what I believe is the real problem. Number one, the understanding of the gospel. What God is like and who he is and what man is like and who we are. And I think it all starts right there. People do not understand the gospel. Second, people do not understand the Christian, I'm talking about a believer now, and the battle that they have with their own flesh. Three, people do not understand the local church. That is lost today. Lost. Absolutely lost. People are trying to live like the Apostle Paul lived. Christ never tried to live like Moses lived. I'll deal with that when I get there. But more importantly, folks, the fourth problem, I believe, is the real heart of the issue, and here it is. Our attitudes. Mine and yours. The way we deal with one another stinks for the most part. So it's important that as we deal with this subject, we deal with it properly. We understand what the gospel is. We understand what we're like. We understand the way Christians ought to behave, and we understand what the works of the flesh look like. That's Galatians. And we understand what the Spirit of God really looks like. And hopefully by the time we're done with this series, no matter what your position is on anything, you're going to be examining, so am I, my own heart, as to whether or not my attitude is sinful. Because most of the time, Christians' attitudes are sinful and worse than the, what they are addressing. So where do you start? With unity lacking? Why begin there? Yes. I'm going to start by having you turn to Psalm 90. I don't know how I'm going to get this all in this morning, but I am going to. Psalm 90, let's go. Get your electrical fingers going. Psalm 90, here's how it all begins. 
And then I will save from turning to a couple of these verses, but I'll give them to you. Psalm 90 and verse 2. Where to begin? In my opinion, if you really want to understand it, you've got to start at the beginning. Let's start before creation. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, all you give birth to the earth and the world, here it is, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There was no problem with unity in the beginning. Really? Because God was here. The earth wasn't here. Guess what? You weren't here. I wasn't here. No problem. God was in perfect unity and harmony within the Godhead. They didn't, Godhead didn't need anybody else. There was no arguments. They didn't say, I'm going to go. No, I'm not going to go. I don't think I did. No, I ain't going to do that. Not at all. Perfect harmony. Then what happened? Creation. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. Now, don't jump on me. You might want to jump on me by the time the day is done, but that's okay. But don't jump on me on this one. God creates Adam. No problem. Sorry. But there wasn't. You say, yes, there was. No. Name the animals. No problem. Walk with God. No problem. Everything's still in harmony. However, there was not found someone fit for him. The animals didn't fit the bill. And by the way, that's why you've heard messages like that on me. Animals, I love them. I was with two dogs yesterday that belong to my daughter. They're great and so forth, but they're animals. They are not human beings. Sorry. Not sorry, really. Okay? But Adam was fine. Guess what? Took the uh, rib out of Adam, creates Eve, problem number one. And I don't mean that derogatory at all. I mean the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Things began to, have be, a, to be a problem. Disunity began to happen immediately. Not because she was a woman at all. Because you had two people. There was the problem. And unity was broken with God and man. Right from the Garden of Eden, what happened is all of a sudden the relationship, there's no more unity with God because sin came in. And there was no more unity among men and women. It was broken. As soon as you got two people in the picture. Guess what, folks? Until we return to glory, as long as there are two people, you got problems. It's reality. Now disputes ended up, conflict ended up. By the time you get to Genesis 4, and I'm not going to go through all these verses for time's sake only. By the time you get to Genesis 4, all you got is Cain and Abel, and you get murder. God's accepting yours. He's not accepting mine. Death kills his brother. Evidence of what we're like. By the time you get to Genesis 6, 5, mark that verse down. By the time you get there to Genesis 6, 5, many of you know it, God looked down and saw that man's thoughts and intents were always only fully, what? Evil. God looks down by Genesis 6, and right after there's a second person put into the world, all the way to Genesis 6, all you've got is evil in this world. People fighting with one another, hating one another, jealous of one another, envy, strife, and on and on it went. Noah and his family, right after that, you've only got eight people. You've got conflict. You've got sin that comes in. Abraham and Lot, Genesis chapter 12, right? Abraham's called. You've already got Abraham and Lot fighting over the land. It's inevitable. You've got people and they're fighting. Isaac and his wife. Oh, well, don't pick on them. Why not? 
Favoritism. One likes this son, the other one likes the other son. You got favoritism and the home is split. Jacob and Esau. Do I have to go into the detail of that one? On and on it goes. What about the nation of Israel? God eventually takes the nation of Israel, says that you're going to be a people for me. Takes them out of bondage. A picture of redemption, right? What have you got? Nothing but complaining from the people chosen by God to represent him. What did they complain about? They complained about the food. They didn't like their diet. They didn't like their clothes. They didn't like the weather. And in case you don't think I'm right on those, look carefully. And they didn't like the leadership. Who is this guy anyway? And on and on it goes. The whole of the Old Testament, you walk it through. And what have you got? That's the root of the problem. It wasn't God. It's human beings. It's our heart. It's what goes on inside. It's what we are made up of. What about the prodigal son? You come to the New Testament, there's the example. And I picked that one purposely because it was yesterday's reading. For those of you that are reading through the Bible. The prodigal son, instead of coming back and saying, hey, my brother got saved. He's back. He's, he's returned. Never did that for me. What do you mean they're celebrating? What does my father think? This guy wasted everything. What an attitude. Godly, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. But that's the way we are. How did that tie into Ephesians chap excuse me, chapter 2? Go there. Ephesians chapter 2. So what is the problem? The problem is us. And in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, we're living in the 21st century. I'm not, I haven't got my head stuck in the ground, I don't think. People don't want to talk about sin. People don't want to hear messages like this. They want to just come together. Let's just have a great time. Let's lift up everybody. Let anybody do what they want to do. And, and just imagine that there's no problems in the world. That's foolish. But dead in trespasses and sin, in which, you watch this, you formerly walked according to the course of this world. What is the course of this world? It is sin. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. Of the spirit that is now working, it's now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we too all formerly lived. I give you a reference. Psalm 14, in verses 1 forward. It says, God looked down from heaven to see if there were any righteous, and what do you, guess what he found? No, not one person. Sounds like Romans, doesn't it? Romans chapter 3. There isn't anyone righteous. No, not one. You see, the issue wasn't with God. The issue is with man. The issue is with sin. The issue is with our flesh, and we'll get to that. Man is sinful. He's not sinful because of his environment. He's not sinful because sin is a disease. He's not sinful because of just his personality. He's not sinful because he's an old man or an old woman and his age affected him. He's sinful because of who he is. And all men are sinful. And we need to see that. While this is dealing with somebody before salvation, I don't want to take it out of context. It is dealing with somebody before salvation, that's the way we all were, walking according to sin. Listen, we're going to get there. 
even the Christian still has his flesh. And his tendency is to lose that battle over his own flesh with his own attitudes as opposed to letting the Spirit of God rule in situations. It starts with man's sin. What's man's solution? Listen, man's solution is good works. How does a person think they get saved today? Merit. I must do something. That's why you have religion. People are searching out all different ways, all different religions in the world, thinking that theirs is right. I talked to somebody, it was about, it was last week. It's uh, when I was on the jury duty. Um, but when I was talking with somebody, they were talking about Buddhism and so forth. And people have their ways of trying to earn their respect with God. You can't do it. Why? We are all sinners and come short of the glory of God. No religion, no good works, nothing can merit God's favor. Why? We don't even know our own hearts. I know you know this. Go with me to Jeremiah 17 for a minute. Before salvation, man is basically dead in his trespasses and sins. And if you're here today, to jump ahead of myself a little bit with the gospel, if you're here today and haven't trusted in Jesus Christ and God's plan of salvation, which I'll refer to in just a moment, you're dead. Oh, you might be physically alive, but dead as far as God, and what will be produced in your life is sin. Is sin. Jeremiah chapter 17, Christian, take this to heart as well. We all know verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else. What does that mean? That means Pastor Dan's heart is deceitful. Yes, and so is yours. Above everything else. And it's desperately wicked or sick. Our hearts are sick. What? For our traditions? For our way? For me first? For I'm right? For every single one of these areas. But I want you to look at verse 10. Nobody ever quotes verse 10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his own ways according to the results of his own deeds. God says, I really know what's going on. I know everything about you better than you do. For time's sake, I need to get to this. So the understanding of the problem, it's not music. The problem is the human heart. And before salvation, man is without hope before God. Absolutely, there's no way to please God at all. In fact, since we're in the Old Testament, go with me to Isaiah chapter 4 before I turn to Ephesians 2. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 4, uh, 43. I'm sorry. My notes say 4. I know it's 43 I want. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 11 and 12. God says this. Here's the solution. Here's the understanding of the solution. It's not by good works. It's this. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is what? How many saviors? None. Besides who? Him, not the church. Not people. Not religion. He looked down, and he's talking to the nation of Israel here, and he says they're going to be his witness, but he says that I am God. There's no other savior. Verse 12. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed. 
and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declare the Lord. What? That I'm God. The one true and only God is the God who from everlasting to everlasting was in perfect harmony and unity with everything. And then when man got created, man has departed through what we call sin. How can man possibly restore a relationship with God first and then a relationship with one another? Impossible. Religion will never do it. Good works will never do it. God must save. And so if you were thinking you could get saved through religion or your own goodness or whatever, it'll never happen. God has to provide the solution. Go with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll wrap this up for this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2, I read verses 1 to 3, and what that says is men are dead. Why? Because we all have sin. Before salvation, people are dead. You say, then why preach the gospel? Because God chose to use the foolishness of preaching, and by the hearing of the word, faith comes. So we preach the word. But notice verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Here's the solution. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, it's not anything we do, with which he loved us. We're going to talk about love for one another. He loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, that's verses 1 and 2. What happened? Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved. It's by grace. Jump down to verse 8 for time. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that anyone would boast. So the problem is man's sin nature. The problem is that man rebels against God, and because of the sin in him, rebels against his fellow man. He doesn't naturally love one another. He doesn't naturally love God, in spite of people saying that. And my friend, if you're here without Christ, it was God that said, I'm the only one that can save you. And he chose John 3.16, for example. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that is faith. You can't work for it. Should not perish, but have eternal life. You are brought from death unto life by the work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not because of this church. It's because of the message of the word. That's the only solution. And I'll get ahead of myself this morning. And when you become a Christian, you become a new creation, and we'll see that in time. But once you become a new creation and God brings us into the body of Christ, we still have our flesh until we meet glory. And the problem is with Christians, we don't love one another because we love our flesh. And we don't see the sin in our own life and our own attitudes that we are yielding to until God exposes it. And it's just like was the Old Testament with David. He deceived, and we can read it and say, ah, it was obvious. David had deceived himself until a man had the courage and said, you're the one. You're the problem. You're the deceiver. Your attitude has led to all of this. Not his. Not hers. It's you. And with Christians, all of these things that become divisive, 
All of these things have become issues. No matter where you stand on any one of those things that I named this morning, is because of our unyieldedness to the Spirit of God and letting him control our own attitudes. It's our own pride, and we will deal with it, and we will go through it. So how does it start? It was lacking in the beginning the minute God created the second person. And from that point till this, until when he returns, man has always got the conflict with one another. That's why Christians still struggle in marriages. That's why we struggle with our kids. That's why we still struggle at work. That's why we still struggle with one another. And we need God's help, not only in salvation, but we need God's help and God's solution. And that is yielding to the Spirit of God ourselves and humbly going before God and saying, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just not seeing it right in any given situation. We'll pick it up here next week. That's just the beginning. My prayer is that when we're done with this, is not only will anybody who's still trusting in their flesh come to Christ, especially next week, and see that they need to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, but that we as believers would be honest enough to say, yes, this is what's going on in the church of Jesus Christ. God, how am I contributing to it? God, how can you change my heart? What really is essential? What is not essential? And get a little bit of my pride out of the way so that the body of Christ will truly be the unity that God established, as we'll see next week, that God has already established and we are to maintain. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you and praise you for the word of God. We thank you that it does set us free. We thank you, Father, for the many in this room that have come to Christ, that they were dead in their trespasses and sins, and by your glorious grace, that through Christ alone, you opened up, through faith alone, salvation, so that people could be taken from darkness to light, from death unto life, and have come to believe the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. And our prayer is for those who haven't come to Christ yet, that they would see there is no other salvation. They could try it in prestige, money, position, anything they want. Religion will never get it. It's got to come from you. And Father, as human beings, we know our, we're finite beings. And I pray you turn their heart to Christ, that they would come to salvation. For fellow believers, as we approach dealing with these subjects and these areas, that you'd help our hearts to be like of Christ, humble, before you, putting others first in our life, and that, Father, we wouldn't be convinced by me or anyone else, but that you would use your word in our hearts, that truly, Father, others might know us and know that we know you by our love one for another, by the way we treat one another, by our attitudes toward one another, that they too would want to know the Savior that we know. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This time, membership, right? Okay, come on up.